Welcome to the Recycler podcast. My name is David Connett and my guests today are Peter Mayhew, Senior Analyst and Director at Lightwords Imaging and Cassia Holthouse, Strategic Partnership Director at ECI Software Solutions. Welcome to the podcast, the two of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cassia, ECI, MPS, all those wonderful things. The first question is really, is print dead or is it just sleeping? Yes, it's definitely been a couple of very interesting years uh, for us. Is it dead? I think definitely not. I think Prin is sleeping and hopefully it's about to wake up. I think pretty much since I've joined the industry 13 years ago, people have been asking that question. Uh, is print death? Are we going to stop printing now? When are we going to stop printing? Is digitalization going to kill print? Well, I don't think it did. Millennials have not killed the print. And pandemic has tried really, really hard, but we still are here. So I think obviously it's not a secret that the volumes are declining, but I think they are declining temporarily or at least to that degree, uh, to that degree declining that dramatically. I think what has happened is that a pandemic really uh, in print terms have taken away the printer from the users. The users stayed at home and not everyone got a printer to take home with them. And that has stopped for printing. And I think a lot of people out there sitting in their living rooms on their kitchen tables were hoping, I wish I had a printer right now with me. (laughs) I think that once people are going to start going back to the office and the printer is going to be become available for them again, I think the, um, the old habits die hard. And I think they will sort of get used to printing again and those volumes will pump up. Probably not to the degree before the pandemic, but I really believe that uh, print has temporarily gone to sleep, and it's definitely not dead. I was going to say, I, mean, I was looking at some of the IDC data that was published in August. Even when they looked at the forecast out to 2025, there's still 4.4 million pages printed per minute. You know, that, that's about 39 football fields. You know, that's a still an awful lot of pages that are being printed. You know, so this is even if there is these various transitions that are going on, this is still a large industry and we shouldn't lose sight of that. I think what happened during the pandemic, a lot of this sort of normal, what I'm saying, a very usual, like a lot of people in the usual jobs, usual industries have shifted and have gone working from home. But I think we can't forget about the, the critical workers, the critical industries that have been supporting the fight against pandemic. And those guys tend to print a lot anyway the finance industry, the healthcare industry, there are heavy print users and those guys have actually been working from the offices during the pandemic. So I think they kept us alive throughout the two years, um, but hopefully that, that's about to change. If you track paper production over the last 10, 15 years, it's been declining by about 1.3, 1.4% year on year, which I think is the true trend in the sense that as we digitalize more, we don't print so much. I can remember going to meetings, you know, where everybody got emailed the the agenda and then you walked and you printed it out and then you walked into the, the meeting room and there are another dozen copies printed out. And that's sort of disappeared now. You know, you get the agenda and it's on your tablet uh, and it gets updated in real time on the tablet. Duplication in printing is disappearing, but printing per se, is still going to be with us. And I accept the pandemic saw a significant drop in print, especially in the office-based MPS. And I don't think that the increase in 
the sale of desktop A4s for home use in any way replaced the the value that comes from office printing. So I think I agree with you, Cathy, that as work normalises and whatever normalising is, I mean, I think hybrid working is with us now and I don't see that going away. I think print volumes will increase and in five years' time, the 20-year the decline might actually be sort of like 2%, 2.5% year on year. So it, it is about the dip now. When does it flatten out and when does it start to increase again? in the future. Yes, and I think, David, that there's so many factors that influence that decline uh, apart from pandemic. Obviously, pandemic has made everything much more drastic because it essentially stopped printing, as I said, took the printer away for so, from so many users. But obviously, you know, we've got the environmental impact. We have the future of the workspace with, you know, digitalizations, cloud uh, and the hybrid working model as well. We have the generational change. So there really is a lot that's going to sort of define the the decline curve because let's agree, you know, the printing volumes are not going to increase, but there's a lot of factors that are actually defining that decline curve right now and in the future. I don't disagree with you, but what factors do you think then are significant now and, and in the short term future? You know, what's the ECI perspective on you know, hybrid working? Again, I believe in balance and I think that there will be right balance between people working from home and working from the office. There are different trends and actually and every study of research that I've read had various percentages of people preferring to work from home, people prefer to work from the office. But I think the majority is in having the flexibility to do either. And I think this is really what's going to adopt. And I think that when that hybrid model will adopt, print will recover more. I think people will print ahead. You know, they'll be thinking, what do I need? I'm going to work from home for the next three days. Is there anything that I need? Is there anything that I need to print out? Because it's just more convenient. Even if you have a smaller printer at home and you want to print at home, it takes time, it's uncomfortable, it's much more convenient to print in the office. And again, from the employee's perspective, I think the hybrid model is here to stay. Lucia, can I ask you, do you think that we are already in this hybrid working mode now? Certainly from a UK perspective, I think this hybrid way of working is now in existence. I think a lot of companies have sort of started to adapt to two days in the office, three days at home, or, or vice versa, or some combination of that. Absolutely, we see the volumes increasing these days, especially since the summer. But I still don't think we are quite in the hybrid model yet. I oh. think there are still there is still a number of organizations, especially the bigger ones, which are quite risk averse. And they don't want to take that decision to move back into the office or also allow their employees into the office. So I think that we will see much more that as the sort of the post-pandemic world settles and people will become more comfortable with the idea of going back in the office. I think we are still not there. It's, it's interesting how you sort of perceive these things. You see the anecdotal evidence of people starting to commute more. It does leave that question mark, you know, where are we on that transition? Are we fully all back in the office or are we all fully still working from home? And, and where are we? And I, I think you're right. I think Absolutely. You know, we're, still in be... that, we're still in that transition, aren't we? I think we're still not there yet. And I, I think it will be a very interesting study, actually, to 
understand how many companies or what's the percentage of people that actually have the choice of going back to the office yet. Good point. Certainly, I'm aware of a couple of companies that have really embraced hybrid working and they're, they're repurposing their offices almost as we speak in the sense that you know, they've got more hot desking areas, more networking areas, a training area, but the traditional office that's sort of gone away and they've tried to be as flexible as possible. My friend who's sort of similar age to me and a bit of a dinosaur tells me that whilst he was very sceptical of what the, the company owners were doing, it's actually worked quite well. The numbers are up, the staff absenteeism is a lot less, they're still paying the, the same wages etc and and as he said he, he has a young assistant who has uh, two children with childcare and she loves it because two, two and a half days a week, you know, she's looking after her own children with that. So she is actually saving, I think he said, seven, eight hundred pounds a, uh, a month in childcare costs. And, and it doesn't really impact on what she does. Absolutely. You know, because he, yes. everybody that works wants to work well. Whilst, you know, we all want to earn a lot of money. It isn't just about the money, it is about the work-life balance and everything else. But then you're also, uh, you see, I would maybe turn it around the other way. You do have a lot of people that still work from home, not because they want to, but because they have to, because the yeah. businesses have not opened up yet. And, you know, especially around London, people don't have um, massive houses or extra space for the desk or extra bed for the desk. So working from home is a challenge. And I know a few people that actually can't wait until the offices open up again so they can go to work, sit down, do their job and come back home. And when they come back home, they are home, you know, they're spending time with their families or they're spending time on their hobbies. Whereas now when you're working from home entirely, those borders, those boundaries between the home life and the work life are very invisible. So, so one sort of interferes with another. So it also creates a bit of a, a different way of working for businesses. It creates a more agile way of work. You bring your team together one day or two days a week. You, you really focus in on what the key issues are and then you disperse, you tackle those, you come back again the following week, scrum down and look at how we progressed, you know, what we dealt with and then what we've got to deal with and then you go out and do that work. In a way, that creates a more focused but different way of working. I think that's probably a positive effect as well. But also, again, you know, like I would add a different perspective. So... If you're, you know, 25, 23, you're starting your career right now, you don't have that exposure. You're not in the office with people. You don't learn from a, from them. You know, you mm. learn when you learn, maybe when you're on the call, you don't observe. You don't have that opportunity to learn from your peers that you that we've all had. So I'll, it'll be interesting to see also how this will impact those young people's careers going forward. And, and how they're going to be, where they're going to be in 10 years from now. Because That's, that learning curve will be a bit flatter for them. I think that is a, a good point. I think for some people, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, that a job is a job is a job. The activities they do are straightforward. But you're right, I think somebody coming into the work market without the benefit of a more experienced mentor to help them develop and grow means that they they will they will grow but they will grow at a slower pace so will they be in, in their mid-30s in that sort of first second management level role or is that something that's going to roll on until their late 30s early 40s it, it, i think it's too early to tell 
but <laughs> I also think, Cassia, that, that it's a well-made point that you've made. But at the same time, I think that's also uh, an issue for management, isn't it? That if, if you're a manager and you're recruiting somebody, you want to get the best out of that person. So you also have to adapt your management strategy so that person can evolve at a pace that works for everybody. So I think that's a big challenge because today hybrid working is really throwing up the, the need for more dynamic management where instead of telling people what to do, you're empowering people what to do and supporting people to do something rather than just saying, sit at that desk, do this, do that, do the other. Oh, and can you make me a cup of tea? That style of management has to evolve beyond that. Absolutely. And I think this is probably one of the toughest challenge in the whole hybrid or trend. I think it's the mental change that the managers will have to go through in order to make it work for for themselves as well as make it work for for everyone else involved so i think it look it's it's a lot of it is about flexibility because people don't stay at home just so they don't have to come to the office but that stay at home that work from home enables them to uh, to have a better quality of life and to have that flexibility and it's just a matter of managers having that understanding that there's time for work there's time for life and managing the actual outputs rather than managing the task that the employee um, yeah, is to perform at work. Very few tasks have to be done by four o'clock. Most tasks that somebody's working on, they, they have to be completed, say, by Thursday. So it shouldn't really matter to a manager whether that's done at seven o'clock in the evening or nine o'clock in the evening, as long as the task is done to the required level and it's ready by Thursday. Absolutely. So, and, and that does require um, a, a significant change in management styles for some people. Okay, that's a, a good thing and sort of leads us nicely into how is ECI adopting to the challenges caused by the pandemic? What are you doing now that's different to what you were doing, say, two years ago? I have to say that pandemic did hit us just like everyone else. So we had our own challenges of remote work, uh, cut down on you know events, which was a huge part of our demand generation campaigns and demand generation strat- strategy. Obviously, we being in the print and relying on those print volumes to a certain degree made us expect some contract cancellations as well. But since the beginning of pandemic, we treated that pandemic like something temporarily. So we didn't make any drastic changes in our organizations or didn't introduce drastic measures because it was a temporary um, situation for us. We supported our customers. um, We provided incentives to our prospects to encourage them to um, invest in our technology and help them manage through that uh, period as well. From the product perspective, we have to say that we have really taken to listen to our customers, to understand what their challenges were, how they were going tackle those challenges. And a lot of them did it through diversification. Um, So obviously, yes, they were providing print. A lot of them went into communication services because the demand for that was really high during the pandemic. A lot of them went into IT services and and laptops, et cetera. So we've made changes into our products in order for them to be able to facilitate that diversification. And obviously that mainly applied to our ERP system, but also from sort of an MPS provider perspective, we understood that during the pandemic and the post-pandemic world, the ability to handle 
service and business remotely is a huge value add. So during the pandemic, our cloud um, proposition has become really successful, especially in the United States. We have lots of people moving their infrastructure into cloud. From the European perspective um, or general perspective and the product perspective, we have launched a new device management solution, which is called Printanista. And Printanista takes a lot of the tasks that would normally would have to be performed on site into sort of a remote mode so that it allows the dealers and service providers to remotely control the device, which again offers massive benefits in terms of service costs, in terms of being able to fix the device issue either remotely or at the first site visit, which again really affects the customer satisfaction, which is extremely important in today's reality. I guess it is. And that's a big change, really. Management is more cloud-based. No, so our, our systems have always been cloud-based, but from legacy perspectives, we've had a lot of on-premise customers, especially yeah, yeah. for our ERP systems. Yeah. And we've noticed that during the pandemic, naturally, a lot of them have made the decision to move into cloud for obvious reasons, really, from the access perspective, but also on-premise systems are incredibly expensive to support. And also in terms of security, you know, there's a lot of threats these days um, from um, various hackers that attack not only you know the large businesses but actually the primary target are the SMBs and and you want to be protected from that. So th this is why we had this 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 huge uptick in the uh, in the cloud services. But more importantly, it's about being able to deliver more services from your um, office space or from your home space. So the ability to being able to deliver a service remotely really gives you a better cost base. So you don't have to send an engineer on site to change the device settings, for example, or to upgrade the firmware version. You can do it remotely. So you save that cost of having to send an engineer on customer site to do so. Also, from a customer perspective, you don't have to bother your customers to give you that remote access to the uh, to the network. You can do it yourself through DCA. And it's a huge advantage in terms of cost, but also in terms of that customer satisfaction. And today's world, when you see suppliers being consolidated, the ones with the best service really will survive and thrive in that customer environment. So again, a huge asset to dealers and service providers. Definitely, service always wins through. My other question, I was interested in, um, uh, you mentioned there at ECI about how services have moved to the cloud. And, and we read a lot about digital transformation, whether that's, you know, in office applications mm -hmm. or storage or security. How are you finding the dealers that we typically knew of or know of that are in the print domain? How are they adapting? I know we talked a little bit about them taking on IT services, but have they largely transitioned to providing these services and are they working closely with ECI to bring those services through to their customers? Or is there still a way to go? And how are you bridging that, of that knowledge gap and that skills gap there? Are you supporting them in making that transition? What's the, what's the story there? In terms of the transition bit, it really depends on the dealer, as always. You know, you have the early adopters that are much more dynamic, much quicker to adapt. You have situations where a company that was purely print focused 
would acquire another business and then the other business would provide communication services, for example. You've got lots of those little businesses sort of almost diversifying into uh, providing other services for the office as well. You know, they could, as I said, telecommunication services, they could provide coffees and biscuits and and all the other things that you would normally use in the office. And how do we help those uh, businesses? Well, in Europe, ECI is known mainly because of our device management solutions. So like Printfleet or FM Audit or Printanista, which was released recently. But actually the core of our business is our ERP solution, eAutomate. And ERP lets you manage your entire business in one tool. What it means is that you don't have islands of information. Everything is managed by one system. If data is changed in one place, it will be automatically changed everywhere else. And that tool lets you automate your processes. So it will automate your billing process, automate your service process. It would um, let you find um, you know, any item that you possibly might want to look for or might need at the um, uh, in a given moment. Or last but not least, probably most importantly, would let you, for example, know your profitability on a device level, on a contract level, or on a company level um, within a couple of clicks. So it's a system that entirely runs your business for you and automates the the the, the devil is in the name you know it's automates <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, your I business <laughs> your business processes and what we've done is we have adjusted the automate to account for those communication services so that customers that do wish to diversify or add another business line um are able to manage that new business line within our system as well so it sounds like if you're a, 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 an ECI customer on, on Printfleet or FM Audit, there are a lot of pathways that you can explore and grow with ECI to, you know, essentially sort of extend your penetration into into your sort of end user customer using tools and products that ECI have available. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the and that's the uh, that's the idea. Um, and again, you know, the, the, the advantage over here is that you're dealing with one supplier, um, that you don't have to go to four different companies to manage your entire process. And, um, you know, one of those companies, you know, there's no finger pointing over there and, and nobody's, everybody's blaming for everyone else. Um, we are here, you know, we're hosting your system, we manage the system for you and we're responsible um for the um for the uh, for the deliverables over here um so the adv- advantage of having one supplier that manages all of that for you um is uh, is a big benefit and a big value add to to businesses as well definitely definitely can see that so, so which which comes first are you you know taking erp to mps clients or have you got uh, ERP clients that are now embracing MPS type uh, agreements? So in Europe, um, it happens more often that we take the device management clients to ERP. Um, But also we have a lot of new customers uh, in general where we we, um, offer the ERP systems 
but because it's such a close link between ERP and uh, device management, obviously you need the meter data to be able to build your customers. Um, So you want to automate that meter collection process and then you want to automate that invoice production process as well. So Automate will pull the meter readings from any of our device management tools. We will um, prepare the invoices based on the contractual model for each of the customer and can automatically send it um, to to the customer as well. Taking all of that process, which sometimes take quite a long time. You know, I know dealers that taking five days every month um, in order to be able to build their customers. And obviously, as the process is done manually, mistakes happen. Uh, the meter readings might not be there. They might be inaccurate. So there's quite a lot of back and forth. Um, but all of that really disappears um, when you have an automated tool for billing. Yeah, I I have recollections of you know meter readings having to be, you know, you phone up a, a client and say, oh, what's the meter reading? What's the meter, you know, and, and it's not right. It's not accurate. So yeah, anything that automates that has to be a good system. Yes, and and you know you're not you're not always gonna get hundred percent of your meter readings automatically through DCA. Um, but then you know our ERP system also has a way of actually automatically request those meter readings from um, from the customers and make it really really easy to insert it um, back into the system so so there's almost like a backup for for the process and when that automation fails and the customer is not giving you that system it again would inform you that the process has failed that person a human actually (laughs) um, has not um, provided the information they needed to provide and therefore you need to take a manual action pick up the phone and call your customer like in good old days, um, to get what you need. Yeah. Uh, and presumably the systems that you have there will trigger uh, automatic supplies, purchasing and replenishment at the uh, dealer level. I know that's always been a big pain point for some dealers, making sure they've got enough products on the shelf and it's, you know, supplies are going out on time and, uh, you know, the right product in the right absolutely. place. Absolutely. That, that's all integrated into this. Absolutely. So the um, the again due to integration between our device management solution and our ERP solution, a um, supplies alert will be automatically converted into supplies order. Um, also, there is intelligence in the system, which is probably more important. So that order can be blocked or it can be flagged and highlighted to the administrator. When, for example, customer requests a toner that has been previously requested, or when he requests a toner, when the yield of the cartridge, that's um, also the number of pages that have been printed, do not correspond to the the yield of the cartridge or are outside a certain range. So that your pickup on situations where dealer still has, you know, 80% of toner in the cartridge, but asks for a new toner. so again, um, it's it's an automation or controlled automation that um, reduces the risk for a dealer and uh, improves their bottom line. So I guess dealers have choices here. You know, I, I mean, these dealers come in many shapes and sizes and 
forms and formats and you know some have moved to what you know towards print and printing and home devices and there's all sorts of shapes of size here but um some some oems will provide solutions that will do this um some even some remanufacturing companies will provide systems that offer offer mps solutions as well is there is there an optimal point here or is there a profitability point here that might if you've got the, the the dealer that's sort of perhaps I don't know maybe tied into an OEM right now, thinking of moving in a different direction, is there any sort of like message you could give to them and say you know consider this or consider that or this particular scenario is probably the most profitable way that you can go in terms of offering software as a service and providing these systems? There's some there's some, some good points here. Yeah, so I think definitely to the dealers that are, you know, starting or are in the sort of less mature phase, I would definitely recommend that it's good to start with um, the infrastructure for their business as early as they can, um, because that will really enable them to keep things under control um, and do more with less um, so especially when you're small, where you're small business, when you don't have the resources, um, you can really make use out of automated tools um, in order to run your business more uh, effectively. We always tell our customer to think about e-automate as a additional employee within the organization because it does so many things that normally you would need people to do. So I would definitely encourage dealers to think about it. Beagle dealers and obviously, you know, um, consolidation within the in industry and, and convergence is, um, is a very well-known thing. Um, I would encourage those bigger dealers that are thinking of merging or acquiring another business to think about the scalability of the infrastructure that they using or are planning mm -hmm. to use um, and assure that the infrastructure that they put in place will be able to help to handle um, more, so higher yeah. volumes, yeah. Um, and also be able to handle um, other business lines as well. And not only from technical perspective, I would also encourage to think about how the, um, the, the systems are priced um, obviously, something is priced by device. It almost penalizes you for growth. Whereas if you're being priced by user on the ERP front, um, naturally, when you automate things, you need less people to do um, those manual tasks. So you sort of keep, it, keep your costs under control or reduce them and you can grow as much as you can and as you want because that doesn't affect your costs interesting yeah thank you that's interesting wow. insight yeah that, 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 <laughs> okay thank I, you I, I, can't, I can't believe that we've just been talking for so long and covered so much uh ground uh but i know I, it was I guess, it's, it's it's been really before, interesting yeah the more we talk the the more i you know we have to edit but no, it, it's great. I think it's sort of fairly yeah, comprehensive. Um, and if I'm honest, I think I'm up to date with a lot that's going on in the industry, but I didn't quite make the link for ECI between you do ERP as well as device yeah. management. I now really see the synergy in terms of supporting a dealer network that you know every, everything is in one place and, and it 
interacts and manages and the more you automate then the better the and more accurate the service. I'm not surprised that you haven't seen that link before because in the UK we've only started our international expansion over a year ago uh, or perhaps a year and a half ago. I'm not surprised you haven't seen that link yet. We're still building our customer base in Europe. In the US, we have over 2,000 ERP customers. You know, we are the go-to provider for ERP services for print dealers um, over there. So it's not that we start in Europe from scratch. We really rely on the product, on the on the product that's been in the market for over 25 years. Obviously, the the market in in Europe and in the UK is slightly different. The customers in Europe and in UK are different. So there is a lot that we've adapted to and there is a bit that we still have to um, adapt and integrate with. But it's definitely a big focus from uh, from our management and from our organization to repeat our American success in Europe. That's great. So you think the future is looking good for ECI then? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, I really, obviously, I don't have the crystal ball. I cannot tell for sure, but it looks like the the the, the future looks good for us um, in the UK. Excellent. Peter, and I assume you've got a an and finally. I think my my end finally really is a question back to Casey. Actually, one of the big issues that's in the industry right now is this whole issue of security, especially with work from home, purity of the devices and so on. I think for my end finally, I'd really just like to, to ask Casey, you know, how does ACI reassure its customers about the security of its systems on its on the one hand, and also help them to maintain security, security of access, security of the systems and so on there. Can you add any flavor to that? So security is extremely important for for ECI. And I'm reflecting to security as in from service uh, provider perspective. Um, so we invest close to a million of, of dollars in the secure in our security infrastructure. Obviously, we are cloud provider. One of the reasons why the customer choose to go with our cloud services and a very important one is because our environment is more secure than the environment of, of the client itself. There's a lot of investment that's going to. There is a lot of security policies and rules behind our cloud environment so that we are and our customers can be confident that their data is saved with us. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there is, so that's one point. Internally, as a company, we are also almost security obsessed in a very positive way. Really, that is a part of our DNA. In terms of secure access to our products, is that your question? So how do we access our products as a customer? Yeah. Okay, so in terms of that, we obviously have tools in the system to enable our customers to create their users themselves. Obviously, there is a password protection. There is a their users that they can create and assign different level of rights. So the individual that's, that's being added to the system can do and see only what the administrator allows and enables them to do and see. Right. So that the administrator or the customer has a full control over full control. who has access yeah. to this. Yeah. Good. That's great. Well, well, Cassia, Peter, that was more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Really. <laughs> well, so how are we going to get 25 minutes out of ECI <laughs> for, a, for a program? And here we are 
an hour later and we've covered so much you know, we could go on actually i could i've got a few more <laughs> we could go on, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so thanks for your time today and if i don't speak to you before is it too early to wish you a merry christmas Maybe not. I'm a Christmas person. So yeah, me Merry too. Christmas okay. to you. And, and Peter, we'll, we'll Skype later about those other things we were talking about. We certainly will. Definitely. Yes, David. All yeah. right. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for your time okay. today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.